when a company has five priorities, they tend to maybe get three done with one or two along the way, not done so well, but they tend to still get at least hopefully two or three done. But then when a company takes on too much and, and takes on say seven, eight, nine priorities, they just fall off the truck. It, 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 they don't just get three or four done and then the rest don't get done. It's more like having so many things in your focus defocuses you mm-hmm. in such a way that you can't even get the top three things done well. So you everything falls off the truck. Hey, it's David. And you're listening to Leadership Without Losing Your Soul, your source for practical leadership inspiration, tools, and strategies you can use to achieve transformational results without sacrificing your humanity or your mind in the process. Welcome to the show today. Uh, we are getting close to the end of season 11, and I am very excited for our guest today. Uh, I think you're going to learn a lot. I know I have reading his book and, and learning from him. Uh, his name is Patrick Thien, and he's an international speaker, CEO, coach, and serial entrepreneur. He's a USA Today Wall Street Journal bestselling author whose uh, work's been seen on NBC, CBS, Fox, And Patrick grew his first company to number 151 on the Inc. 5000. And after a successful exit, he's been on a mission to help CEOs build great companies and achieve their dreams. And with his book, which we're going to be talking about today, Rhythm, How to Achieve Breakthrough Execution and Accelerate Growth, uh, he shares simple system for encouraging teams to execute better and faster. And these tools have been featured at MIT, Cornell, and CEOs that have used these methods have achieved significant business success. And uh, helping people is what gets Patrick and his team up every morning. Uh, He's also passionate about Samaritan's Feet, an organization that serves and inspires hope in children by providing shoes and saving them from life-threatening foot-borne diseases. And I wanted to make sure I mentioned that because listeners of the show know that Karen and I are very passionate about clean water and that that's an important part of our mission as well. So Patrick, thank you for all that you do for CEOs, for people who, you know, for kids and people who have these life-threatening foot-borne diseases. And uh, there's just so much you're doing. We appreciate you taking time to be a guest here with us today on Leadership Without Losing Your Soul. Thank you, David. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, I'm looking forward to to learning more uh, about rhythm and uh, some of the wisdom that you have to really help us through our leadership and management practices. But before we go there, I want to ask you about your earliest memory of yourself as a leader. Yeah, that's a very interesting question. Your earliest memory of myself as a leader, I don't, I don't know uh, where to go with that. I, I would say that when I was a kid, that um, my friends would say that I, I'm a weird mixture of playfulness, helping people achieve what they need to achieve and taking risk. I'm from Singapore. I grew up in Singapore. So Singapore is, is a place which is very uh, rule-centric. So uh, risk-taking is not a very big thing there. Uh, but I was also willing to take my lumps as uh, in punishment as a child when I had too much fun. <laughs> I always had fun. And uh, I could see the look in my dad's eyes when, when uh, we're out. And I can see the look in his eyes, which is like, if you don't stop this, you're going to get it when you go home. And I'd literally be calculating my head. Well, I know my dad only spanks me three times and but really, really, really bad. It's going to be five times. It's early in the day. Well, heck, why not make it a fiver today? <laughs> and then I'd be hell on wheels for the day. So, but I would say that, you know, playfulness, I have a lot of playfulness in me and, and I help people. I like to help people win. 
I like to help people get to where they need to go to. I take care of people around me, even when I don't want to. Uh, I always mean, I typically mean what I say and try my very best to do it. And I've noticed that when I was in high school, my classmates, you know, chose me to, to help them when, when we needed someone to kind of lead the charge. So I would say that's my, probably my earliest memory as, as a leader combined with, I think, what, what the type of leader that I am. I'm very much myself. Uh, I'm playful. I'm silly. And um, it's going to be okay. It's kind of how I look at it. I love it. I don't think I've ever had anyone talk about that particular mix in terms of their early memories of their leadership. That's fantastic. The the risk taking, the calculated risk taking. Well, I'm already in for three. Let's make it five yeah. and have a good day. Yeah, I mean, it's early in the day. I'm going to screw up <laughs> later anyway. So, you know. Oh, that's so good. Uh, combined with the desire and ability to help people and from an early age being known for that. And you certainly are doing that with the work that you're doing now and in the, the book, which is uh, in a revised edition here uh, this year, uh, Rhythm, How to Achieve Breakthrough Execution and Accelerate Growth. So we're, I, there are different elements of this that I want to walk through. And some of the, the pieces I think are just of supreme importance for every leader and manager. But let's get the 50,000 foot view here. So what is the core thinking or approach at the heart of rhythm? So the core thinking is the following. Um, there's CEOs have a very high failure rate. We tend to work with companies uh, in the mid market size, you know, typically 20 million on up to a couple hundred million, whether it's, it's pretty hard. I mean, if you get to this place, uh, there are lots of people who have failed before you've got to this place. So it's very thin air that you're breathing. And uh, so there's a very high failure rate. And, and when I ran my very first company, we were very successful from the world looking in. But from within, we had a lot of challenges, but no one knew them except us. But the world thought we were very successful. We won a lot of awards. And um, when we finished, I realized that a lot of the issues we had were because we had trouble making our commitments. So to me, that's execution. And I think that, uh, exec I think oftentimes when companies come to me today, they'll say, hey, I got a strategy problem. When I take a look at it, oftentimes they actually have the strategy, but, but they were not able to achieve the commitment. So oftentimes strategy is blamed, but execution or lack thereof is truly the culprit. Mm -hmm. And so the heart of everything we do we help uh, CEOs and their senior leaders make the right decisions, right? The fancy term for that is your strategic plan, but it's really just making the right decisions. Uh, we call that thinking, choosing, and planning, and then prioritizing, right? Choosing the right things that you're going to do. And then how do you, you know, begin with the end in mind, as Stephen Covey puts it, but not just begin, but keep the end in mind from now till you finish your goal and achieve what you committed to. So how do you keep the end in mind and execute well and, and make the right adjustments along the way? We call that planning and doing. So our process is think, plan, and do. It's pretty simple. Uh, and we believe that most companies don't have enough execution ability in them. A lot of desire, but not enough execution ability. So we spend our time helping people do that. How do you envision success? How do you actually bring that success from the future forward into the present and make it happen and achieve that? So that's what we spend all our time doing is helping companies do that. 
Well, let's walk through that a little bit because there, there are some elements in you uh, that you call out in the book. One of them, when you're talking about execution, one of the things you note is that many organizations, well, the way, here's the way you say it, lack of focus on a few things causes feverish execution. So it's not that we're not trying. Yeah. And I, I certainly, as I read that description, I empathized with my own situation as a business owner uh, over the years of those times where there's feverish execution that doesn't necessarily result in productive work. You yes. start executing like ducks, you say, paddling furiously below the waterline, yeah. but moving really slowly above. Right. And so that's what I would call poor execution, right? In other words, you think you, so this is what I mean by you're being fooled. You, you, you think you're executing because you, you're working hard. And how many times have we heard somebody say, if I can just work a little bit hard, I just have to work a little bit harder. You know what? It's five o'clock. I have till seven. Hey, you know what? It's nine o'clock. I have till midnight. So if I can just work a little harder, I will get there. And I think that that's actually not great execution. Uh, great execution is really understanding what your priorities are, making the right choices to say, these are things I'm going to do. And then these over here, I'm sorry. The answer is no, I'm not going to do these things. I'm sorry. We just can't get them all done. And I like to say, I'd rather choose the top three or four things to get done uh, than have fate choose for me. Mm. So we've seen this where when a company has three priorities, clearly clarified and focused and everyone's on it, they tend to achieve them. When a company has five priorities, they tend to maybe get three done with one or two along the way, not done so well, but they tend to still get at least hopefully two or three done. But then when a company takes on too much and, and takes on say seven, eight, nine priorities, what happens that we've seen is that they just fall off the truck. It, 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 they don't just get three or four done and then the rest don't get done. It's more like having so many things in your focus defocuses you mm -hmm. in such a way that you can't even get the top three things done well. So you everything falls off the truck. Um, and I, I think that's a shame because, so that's what I mean by, you just need to choose because I hate to tell you, if you have seven, eight, nine things to get done, a bunch of them are not going to get done. So instead of letting fate choose for you, because you don't know which ones are not going to get done, you have the choice. You have the choice to say, I'm going to choose five things, get these done, and the other three or four, I'm sorry, there's two answers you can give. One answer is no. The second answer is later. We can do it later. That's, that's a good answer too. In fact, having the second way of saying, we're not going to do it now, just do it later, has helped a lot of our friends say, Oh, thank God I have a place for that. Okay, good. I'm not stressed about it now. I'm going to get to it later. Because yeah. just saying no can feel abrupt or yes. too, too final. And I don't know yes. if maybe I want to do that later. So yeah. putting it not now, it's not a no, it's a not now. That's right. And by the way, we, we do not now. You're going to have fences. You're going to have um, when is not now. Because otherwise, if you keep saying not now to me, that's just a very rude way of saying no. So we believe in a 13-week race, right? Every quarter is made up of 13 weeks. This is the core of our work. Uh, we believe that the only way to have a great year is to have four great quarters. And the only way to have a great quarter is to have 13 great weeks. So you have 13 weeks. And when your execution gets punched in the mouth or your plan gets punched in the mouth in week three or week four, you have an opportunity to make the necessary adjustments you want to make 
in week five or week six. And so we put you in a rhythm that is continuous. So for example, when you say, hey, the answer is not now, what that means to us is that you're gonna put it in the parking lot. When you come back for your next quarterly planning session to plan the next 13 weeks of execution, uh, and I will say that's a distinction between strategic planning and execution planning, because this is not strategic planning. This is execution planning, getting all aligned on how you're going to do the work. So when you say not now, what I mean is, hey, at the next planning session for the next 13 weeks, bring that up then. And now let's consider this with all the other things that we want to work on and then make the decision as to whether or not we, it's going to make the list of things that that we choose to get done. And a, a critical thing that you just mentioned there, a characteristic of that not now and parking lot is that somebody has an ownership for that. And maybe it's the person who brought forward the idea, or maybe we're going to give that responsibility to somebody else, but it's not just in a parking lot to die a withering death. It's in a parking lot with someone responsible for it, who's going to bring it back to the next execution planning meeting, quarterly meeting and say, Hey, what about this? And then we can make a decision. Is it a no? Is it a yes? yes? Or is it a still not now, but we really want to bring it up again? Yes. You know, I think companies make the mistake of, look, we're in week four, week five, week six of a quarter, which means you're halfway done already. Quarter's 13 weeks. And then, you know, your boss gets this great idea. And instead of going, yay, right, we go, oh, my God, really? Like, do I look like I've been sitting on my butt waiting for more work? And yeah, I'm busy. <laughs> I'm busy. So, so usually what happens is, you know, your boss, your manager has a new idea, it pops in, and he or she is celebratory, right? He or she's like, hey, look at this, I got this great thing. And but you're going, oh my God, not again. Like, no, no, no. I'm that's I got three projects here. I need to finish. So what I like for people to do is to create the discipline of saying, look. It's week six, seven. I mean, we only have like a few more weeks to go. This is going to be distracting on the priorities. Look, if, if the house is not going to burn down, no one's going to die or go to jail, let's just put it in the parking lot and then we'll discuss it at the planning session. Because this may seem like a great idea. You know, we've all had this happen. I've had this happen to me where I think it's a great idea. And then four weeks later, I'm thinking, no, not that great of an idea after all. Or maybe... I'll see other ideas that people brought to the table. I'm thinking, actually, no, this idea that I thought was awesome pales in comparison to somebody else's idea. So what you don't want to do is just make a judgment call, commit resources based on one person's thought. You really want to put that in, in, in the context of the other ideas you're going to say no to. Because I think what people don't realize is that when they say yes to something, they're actually saying no to a number of other things. So before you say no to something you don't know about, wouldn't it make more sense to wait, gather that, let the other ideas from people flow in? And now you have 10 great ideas to choose from. Uh, because when you just say yes to this one without considering the other ones, you've actually said no to the things that you didn't even know about. And so part of this process that you're describing, Patrick, is as you said, it's the rhythm, but it's knowing that, and I appreciate the way this becomes very manageable when we think, okay, it's not a whole year. It's not a whole three years or five years. It's this year, but it's a year is really four quarters and a quarter is really 13 weeks. And so looking a week at a time in units of 13 weeks, 
that becomes manageable. I can think about that. It's in my kind of human frame of reference, time scale that a, a human brain can deal with. And the other thing that you've got there as you're talking is you've got built-in points at which you know these conversations can happen and are going to happen. So it's not just random and unstructured. And I don't, we get a cadence. Yes. And that cadence makes all the difference. So it's the, it's the, the, the rhythm, the cadence of the planning, the thinking, the, the choosing, the doing. When you talked about choosing priorities, one of the questions that comes up for me, and obviously this is a big topic, but as we're making choices and the choices, the specific priorities are going to be different for every business, but are there some principles that you can recommend that we be thinking about as we're choosing what those priorities are? Yes. So give you bigger context. You know, when I, when we do work for clients, we have this slide we call the mountain slide. And we borrowed a concept from Jim Collins, uh, which is climbing up a mountain to get to your big, hairy, audacious goal, which is your long-term goal. So we have this, this uh, construct we use, we get to your, your top. However, let's say 10, 10, 15 years away. So we need to now have what I call winning, we call it winning moves. And these are strategic growth moves that are strategic and maybe take three to four or five years. So these are your midterm, your, your three-year plan, your five-year plan. And as you climb up the mountain, the three-year plan takes you to a base camp. And then you plan the next three years or next five years, takes you to the next base camp. And you get a couple more base camps and bam, you've achieved your big heritage's goal. So that's, that's uh, in our think part of our think plan do. In our think part, we really want to spend time crystallizing what your big heritage's goal is, what your 10-year plan is. And then make sure that you've got enough winning moves to get you to your base camp. Now, a lot of people don't realize this when I say, well, how, how do I know? Is it three years or five years? How do I know? I say, well, it's whatever you, it takes to double the size of your company. So if you're a $20 million firm, you need three winning moves or four winning moves to get you to at least $40 million firm. And if it's a three-year plan, you're growing at about 20, 22% a year. If, if it's a five-year plan, you're growing at about 15% a year. So most of my clients want to grow at least 15% a year, maybe 20% a year. So you're in that you know three to five years to double your company. But wishes don't make your company double. So I want to make sure that you have specific winning moves that can actually get you that growth. Now, when you do your, your, your annual plan, you're focused on what does it take? What, what is the, you know, refreshing your growth moves for the three to five years? Make sure you, sure you have enough juice to get you there. Then you build your annual initiatives or annual priorities to get you there. And then when you do your quarterly priorities, you want to pick stuff that gets you there. So that's how we choose. I mean, if you have a priority that does not lend itself to your three-year plan, my question is going to be, why do you want to do that priority? Now, if you have a crisis, that's different. So if you have a crisis, we don't even have to ask what's important this quarter. It's, you know, if, you're, if your house is on fire, you put the damn fire out. I mean, it doesn't get more simple than that. So yeah, there'll be quarters when, when we have an issue or we have a prior, we have something burning in the house and we're going to put that fire out, man. Like, let's stop thinking too much about it and create the set of priorities to put that fire out because that's the most urgent thing. However, if every quarter you're putting a fire out, then you've got something fundamentally going wrong with your business, right? 
And then arguably then the work, the next quarterly objective really should be to fix systemically or structurally, whatever's causing yes. permitting those fires in the first place. Yes. Yeah. You know, I like, I like the idea that um, if you take a, a year and it gives you four quarters, uh, if you took one or two quarters, let's say in, in each quarter, you improve the company in some way. In the course of a year, you would have improved the company in four ways. Uh, a long time ago, I was working with the CEO and I told him this and he said, wow, Patrick, I don't know, man. It's like only improving the company in four ways. So I said, I said, hey, tell me last, last couple of years, can you tell me specifically what you actually improved the company in? I'm not talking about revenues. I'm talking about like improving your, your, your strengths or improving your intellectual capital. I mean, or something like, what did you improve in the company versus just, you know, make money? He thought about long and hard. And he said, Patrick, actually worked the butts off, but you're right. We actually haven't improved the company that much. We've just been working really hard. So I said, great. I mean, not great, but okay, great. So, so for, for what if this year, you just decided every quarter, we're going to improve one thing. Maybe mm-hmm. one quarter, we're going to improve how you recruit. Maybe one quarter will improve how you interview. Maybe one quarter will improve, you know, how you do. I don't know what, but what, and I'm talking about permanent improvements, not just do something, but actually create muscle for your firm in that area. He signed up. He was like, Patrick, that's awesome. Let's, so every quarter I'll improve one thing. Now it turned out that we didn't improve four things that year. It turned out that sometimes it took two quarters to improve that one thing. But whatever it is that we improve, systemically continue. So it's like building on your muscle base, right? It's building like it's building on your muscle base so that you, you improve this thing. And then next quarter, you improve something else. But guess what? If you worked on your recruiting process and your interview process, you put those things in place. And that's a permanent improvement that you've got. And then you work on the next thing. So thinking of, about it in 13-week races also gives you the ability to say, as my company grows, what is it that I could actually improve? What muscle can I build so that I'm not just fighting fires? And uh, listeners, I hope uh, now if you're a CEO, this should be pretty appealing you're, 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 and immediately uh, applicable. If you're in a leadership role and you're not at the CEO or the ownership level, everything Patrick's talking about, I hope that you're seeing the applications because those same principles apply. I can be asking myself, what in the work that we're doing and the systems I'm responsible for, can I be proving on a quarterly basis that's making the business better? And not only are you improving the outcomes, productivity, your own peace of mind, everybody's ability to do the work, you're also building a heck of a resume. Yes. Also, you know, you bring up a very good point, David. The, the book was really written uh, not just for CEOs, but for senior leaders as well. And what happens is this. A lot of us build silos without realizing it. Now, I don't know very many people who turn to their spouse or, or significant other in the morning and go, hey, I can't wait to go to work and build my own little silo, right? I've but never heard that as a matter I've of- I've never heard that, right? But it happens, it happens. We go and we build silos. We build silos because of the following. Uh, sometimes we don't keep in sight the overall goals of the company. And what we really need to be thinking about as a senior leader is I got to know the company's overall goals. And I've got to understand how my department works to achieve those and how do I work cross-functionally across the aisle 
Because in today's business world, moving so fast that if you have a command and ownership perspective, like I can only work when I own all the resources to get the job done, you're not going to get your job done. You're going to need resources that sit in other people's department and you don't own those resources. You got to find ways to borrow those resources. You got to find ways to engage those resources so that they work with you in collaboration. And so for us, it's very important that we take the company's goals. We find a way to knit it so that cross-functionally, different teams, different departments understand that they're working on the same thing. So I'll give you a personal example. We're going to be releasing, we release our software products all the time. And we just had a meeting today where we're talking about one of our features coming out. What we're trying to do is to say, okay, look, engineering has to deliver the product. Everyone understands that. But I don't want us to deliver the product in a linear fashion. Linear would mean engineering delivers, then marketing figures out how to sell, what the message and marketing has to sequentially think, well, I would put in these campaigns. Oh my goodness, these campaigns are already spoken for. So now I'm like a scheduled campaign further out. So now we have a product that's launched that um, really doesn't get messaging and doesn't get campaign action till a couple of months later. And then, oh, guess what? We forgot to train sales. So now sales wakes up and goes, oh, wait, I don't know how to sell that new feature. So now we're going to train sales. So if you happen in this siloed linear fashion, you would release a product and you wouldn't actually have value to the marketplace for months. So instead, today what my team did is we all worked on envisioning like um, what does each group have to do to release this product? Now, most of us wouldn't think that way. Most of us would think, well, it's engineering, right? Engineering releases the product. But the question that was asked was the company is releasing this product, not engineering. So what do you have to do in marketing? What do you have to do in sales? What do you have to do in service delivery? And what does engineering have to do? And to me, the company's priority in this example is totally cross-functional, is to release and bring this feature to the marketplace. That's the priority. And so most people make the mistake of thinking, well, that's engineering's job, right? Build and release the product. No, it's it's service delivery's job to prepare themselves. It's marketing's job to decide packaging, pricing, and all that stuff, and decide that now so that when the product is actually built, we're not sitting around going, now what? And you're not so, sitting around and going, oh, I wish we would have included that feature or that aspect yes, or that, yes. yeah. All of it together. So it's cross-functional. I think it's really important that it's cross-functional. And then that big goal of releasing the product gets cascaded out to all these different teams. So as senior managers across these teams, you've got to come together and discuss it and get aligned on how you're going, what is your part in the releasing of this product. So that's just one example. Uh, but most major enterprise uh, priorities today, they're all cross-functional. Very true. Very true. And as you're describing that, that process, one of the things that you're getting at is a culture where people can speak into one another's work and the aspects of things. Because I think one of the most poignant things that you said there, Patrick, is that it's not that engineering is releasing a new feature. The company is delivering this service, this outcome for our customers, and we're all responsible to make that happen. So to have that discussion, that cross-functional discussion, you've got to have the openness for people to 
ask of one another, to speak into one, to challenge one another. I'm curious how you go about creating that atmosphere, that culture, uh, you know, in the context of a, a rhythm, you know, strategy for execution. Yeah. So we have a methodologies, right? Now, the methodologies do need the right mindset to succeed. So yes, if a, if a team that we're working with doesn't understand this, we have to help them understand the mindsets, the mindsets of how to work together, of how to collaborate. Uh, most people don't even realize that they're in silos. Now you can, this is a very quick silo test. I mean, if you are doing, if you believe you have control over every element of your success, then you're probably working in a silo because <laughs> that means you have command and control. This is the old way of doing it. Command and control, I own all the troops and therefore I can get it done. Um, but the new way of doing it is you have some control, but you have a lot of influence to help people see the importance. So, so number one, I would say that in our planning sessions, I would say that we need to bring the senior team together. It's cross-functional. And in that discussion, it's not as simple as just deciding what are the priorities. And I think that a lot of, a lot of people stop when they go, Eureka, I figured out the priorities. Now let's just go and execute. That's not delegation, by the way. That's abdication. Right. Abdication is, hey, David, you go get that thing done. When you're done, wrap it in a bow and give it back to me and I'm, we're good. That's actually abdication. Delegation is you go get that done. And by the way, um, here are my expectations. What are your expectations? How do we do together? When's the delivery date? I mean, there's more discussion here. So in our planning sessions, these are execution planning sessions, we spend a lot of time talking about the how, the how. And then each team needs to then have their priorities documented so that you can actually come together uh, what is the objective? What are the key results? How does that all work together? What are the priorities? And we connect those dots. Um, and then each team will take that and go to their team and say, hey, guess what? You know, we're working on this on this, uh, this priority. Uh, what are we going to do to push that forward, bring that forward, bring that alive? Uh, and then they, and, and when you do that from the discussions, unfortunately, we still live in a people-to-people world, a P2P world. So the discussions are critical to getting alignment on understanding what I do affects you, what you do affects me, and how do we succeed together as a company. And you got to have those discussions. And you know, so often people fail to have those discussions, get frustrated at the results, and then, oh, none of this works. And, you know, yeah. but just having the discussions and getting that clarity together. And, and from a leadership perspective, whatever your role, whatever your position, you can drive that with the conversations at your level with other people who are at your level. So many practical suggestions. Uh, we're talking with Patrick Tin, the author of Rhythm, How to Achieve Breakthrough Execution and Accelerate Growth. And uh, Patrick, as, as I'm reading the book, there are so many good, uh, so many practical approaches, ways to help and, and everything that you're recommending. One of them for me that I had to underline, star, highlight, not that this is a practical suggestion in and of itself, but it's a recognition that I think every leader needs to read almost once a week because it's not human nature for us to remember this and we get frustrated. And here's what you said. Most people I know don't join companies to screw them up or to be C players. And then your example is, a, hey, mom, I just joined company X and I can't wait to disappoint my boss and coworkers. 
No, I don't think so. Instead, the environment, process, and situation usually cause the poor outcome, not the people themselves. And from a leadership perspective, I just thought that was so critical. And then you break it down uh, on page 97 with some questions that we can be asking ourselves. But I want to get your insights on that philosophy, that approach to human beings, and then we'll get into those specific questions that we can be asking. So we have this thing we call, and this is not in the book, so I'll give you a, a nugget that's not in the book. We Bonus. call it the five C's of, of the five C's of a high-performing team, and it starts with common purpose. Uh, and and so let me share this thought: is is that we believe that um, there's work, and then there's the people side. Now, are there people that uh, are not performing well that need the discussion and all that kind of stuff? Yes, and that's an HR thing. We should go deal with it. But for the most part, people are trying hard. So I'm not suggesting that there's no one around that doesn't want to do well. I think I'm just saying in the most part, people want to perform. Uh, and so we have a model to help you do that. Uh, as far as a culture uh, situation is concerned, we call it the five C's of a high-performance team. And it's five steps. The first step is to have common purpose. You know, Simon Sinek told us to start with why. I agree. Start of why, what is, why does this matter? This particular project that you're on, why does it matter? Not the big why about the company's overall purpose, but the why behind this thing you're working on. And I'm surprised at how often people don't really understand the why behind what they're gonna do. A long time ago, my very first company, we were a transportation software company. I remember asking a programmer um, who was building something called a bill of lading, a bill of lading screen. I said, hey, what's what's a bill of lading? And, and he, he looked at me and he goes, I it's um it's um oh no I, it's a bill a bills of lading. I, I don't know, Patrick, I'm just building the damn screen. I'm like, <laughs> no, you need to know. So so first you need to know why. Why are you doing this and, and what's the purpose of this? Then number two, the second C is you need to have clear expectations. Uh, you need to know what your role looks like. You need to know what success looks like. So we like to red, yellow, green it. You know, red is the red is unacceptable uh, performance. Green is the goal, and super green is the stretch goal. So we want clear expectations. Who's doing this, and, and and what is the success criteria? If you don't have clear expectations, you cannot do what Stephen Covey taught us, which is to begin with the end in mind. So number two is clear expectations. The third thing, the third C is communication. Communication and alignment on how do we set up for success. And too often, I think people go off and do work, but we're not communicating. So we got aligned when we started, but as we started work, things changed, we made decisions and we're no longer aligning and now we're mad at each other. You know, I, I thought we agreed on this. Uh, no, so we just failed to communicate. Uh, the fourth C is to, to coach and collaborate, which is, okay, you know what? It's a little out of whack here. And um, we need to collaborate on this versus being in, being thinking that I got a problem here, but I got to fix it before my boss finds it. No, let's collaborate and let's receive coaching where we need. And then the fifth C finally is consequences. There is positive consequence and negative consequence. So I believe that when we start a project, we should share and think through the five C's before we actually go out the door. You need to understand the why. The, the, you know, the, the, the common purpose, the clear expectations, how we're going to communicate and align along the way, how we're going to help each other and collaborate, and what are the consequences of not getting done or consequences of getting done. And I think that if we understood that, 
we would naturally bring other people in. Yeah, absolutely. So that's how we help to create the necessary environment to perform and do well in this, in this, uh, in our methodology. Getting that back to the, that, it's the environment, process, and situation that usually cause poor outcomes, not the people themselves. And you know, as you're describing those five C's, every leader listening today, whether your organization is structured to be providing those things or not, you can do that. And part of that is, you know, the way I like to say it is as a leader, it's my responsibility to get those answers. If I'm not sure, or my boss isn't sure to, to keep asking the questions, not from a interrogation standpoint or from a, uh, you know, I'm not challenging my supervisor. Hey, why, why it's not that it's, I want to make sure that we are succeeding at what we're here to do yes. and contributing to the business. So let's talk about what this is going to achieve. I'm asking why, but I'm using a different word yes. so that I'm able to translate that for my team and ensure that people got their, they have their roles straight and so forth, which leads yeah. us to these three, three questions, page 97 in the, in the book, which I think are fantastic. So I'm just going to read these and then you, if you'd elaborate on them for us, number one, does your team know what the company is supposed to achieve? Which sounds so straightforward, but isn't always. Number two, if your team does know what the company's focused on, do they know their roles? And you mentioned this a moment ago in making that happen every quarter. And then number three, do they have clear success metrics so they can tell if they're on track or not? These three questions are so straightforward, but every single leader I think I've ever worked with, I don't know if I've ever met one who is nailing all three of these. I certainly have never... Um, you know, I'm always working towards it, but these three questions, they're so critical in terms of our teams being effective in terms of, uh, you know, practically doing what we're supposed to be doing and achieving that success. So one, two, three, your team know what the company's there to achieve. Do your team know, uh, if they know what the company's focused on, do they know their role in making that happen every quarter? And then three, do they have clear success metrics so they can tell if they're on track or not? So walk us through these and where you see when it works, when it doesn't work, how we get there. What should we be thinking about with these questions? So these are three very simple questions. Uh, you're right. They're very simple and they're hard to get right all the time. So the first thing I would say is that one mistake that we all make as people is we think that once we've solved something, it's done forever. Mm -hmm. And that's why people can't get these answers correct. Because once you've solved something, it's solved for that time and space. It's not done forever. That's why we got to put you into a cadence, into a rhythm. You should come back and examine again. Hey, do you know what your company needs to do? Do you really do? You, is, is the why behind the, the work still the same? Um, are the winning moves the same? Mm. Uh, you know, and then do you know your role in it? If you don't know your role in it, you know, I think that we can always choose to either be to be owners or to be victims. The victim would say, well, no, I don't know. It's not my fault. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. My boss never told me. Uh, the person with the ownership mentality would be saying, you know what? I just realized I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I know it sounds dumb, but I should go talk about it. I should go find out what I'm supposed to do. What is my role right now, right here? And that's why I think people should not feel uncomfortable about that. Because this is the part that most of us forget about. We've figured it out for in a time and space. So maybe we figured out January 2nd, 2022, Q1 of this year. 
by Q3, we've got different projects running around now and some things have changed. And, and if you asked me, do I know my role? I might do a double take and go, wait a minute. I'm not sure. That project I thought I was on, it's done. It's finished. So I'm still working very hard on my day job, but I'm not sure if I know what I'm supposed to do. So that's why um, putting yourself in the 13-week race mentality and having the cadence to come back and have and have the discussion again is, is critical. I mentioned the red, yellow, green just now. And so to me, uh, you know, we've all heard of a SMART goal, right? Specific, measurable, achievable, and wonderful stuff. Most people, if I put them on the spot, cannot tell me what S-M-A-R-T actually stands for. But if you can't remember what it actually stands for, then how do you actually build a SMART goal? It's hard. So to me, it's really simple. If you red, yellow, green it, put a date and a name on it, it's smart, I promise you. <laughs> if you can tell me what green means, right? What the goal is and what, what failure, unacceptable performance looks like, red, uh, and what the stretch goal would make me super happy look like, slap a name and a date on it, it's smart. And now you have clear success criteria. And in addition to that, you've got what I call the gift of red. So the gift of red works like this. You know, nobody wants to fail intentionally. So what I've noticed is that if I let you know what the goal is, but if I also let you know and discuss with you and you buy in to what is unacceptable level of performance, you're going to manage yourself away from that because nobody wants to come to work to screw up. So I call this the gift of red. And the gift of red works in so many wonderful ways. First, it it, it works to help every employee self-manage themselves away from red. But the other thing that it helps is that if I know that a goal is about to hit red, in my weekly cadence, I want to status my, my, my priority red, and that causes it to now be a discussion in my weekly meeting with my colleagues. And somebody may help find a way under coaching collaboration to help me out of that red space into green again. So in our weekly meetings, we always say, hey, if there's a red, we want to know your PTG, your path to green. And, and so I, that's why I call it the give of red, because if something's not going well, I'm sorry, it's not going well. So you might as well find out about it earlier than later. You find out earlier, you have more time to fix it with your team so that it gets green. You find out later, you now have less time, your chance of success is going to be lessen significantly. And so Patrick, when you're talking about red, yellow, green and the use of dashboards, one of the things that, that I uh, remember reading in the book was you said that dashboards don't solve problems. People do. Yes. And that, so what you're talking about, uh, about is, and I've seen this in so many organizations is that, okay, we've got our dashboards, but then we're beating people up with them. And that's not their purpose, the way you're describing yes. it. Yes. So, you know, if you're driving a car and the light turned red, but you drove through the intersection and gone to the accident, who caused the accident? Not the traffic light. You did. You drove your car to the intersection, the, the light was red, and you drove it in and you got smashed. You caused the accident, not the traffic light. So let's not blame the traffic light. Damn it, I was driving fine until the damn light turned red. Duh, red means stop. So 
dashboards are the same. I mean, what the dashboards would do for you is it's a trigger, a catalyst for you to pause and go, whoa, wait a minute, this project's turning red. What's going on? Let's solve it. Let's figure this out. That's what the dashboards are for. Uh, and if a person or a teammate has a priority that is forever red, then it's it could be a number of things. You've got to diagnose it. You kind of automatically assume that the person's bad. You've got to diagnose it. Was the goal unattainable to start with? Uh, and if it and and if this person consistently delivers red priorities quarter after quarter after quarter, then I am sorry. It is an HR problem, and we got to go figure that out. But for the most part, when the dashboard turns yellow or red, it is an early warning system for you to say, "Hey, we have time to go fix this. Not time to go fight and beat people up, but time to go fix it." Because here's the problem. If your dashboard is red, and I come to you and go, David, what the hell's wrong with you? I can't believe you gave me a red dashboard. Well, the next time you status something, you're going to think twice, right? You're not going to go red. You're going to go, well, I'm sorry. I wish Patrick's software had an orange color because it's not really red. I mean, <laughs> uh, no, it's really yellow. And, and hey, this really should be yellow, but no, it's not really yellow. It's lime green and we once we feel that way, we don't want to bring the issue forward. Now we're hiding the bad news. And and to me, bad news shared early is good news because you now can go fix it. So the dashboard was designed, my dashboards are designed anyway, to be early warning systems for companies. But you gotta have a number of things that, that have to work. You gotta first have culture that accepts that. Right? So if the senior, if the, if the managers or the leaders are beating people up with the dashboard, I'm sorry, you have just lost the gift of red. People mm. will be too afraid to share that something's turning red. You now have lost the uh, advantage of solving, of getting more time to solve that problem. So yes, you don't, you don't want to use your dashboards to beat people up. You want to use your dashboards as communication and collaborative tools. Uh, and that will give you the best results. And so just a practical takeaway from that uh, on top of how to use the dashboard in an effective way is when somebody does bring bad news or red news or any of that, as a leader, how are we responding? Am I responding in a way that essentially is with gratitude that says, thank yes. you for bringing that to my attention? Yeah, I may be disappointed. I may not be happy with it, whatever, but if I can re react with some measure of gratitude, now we can do something to solve it and work constructively forward, much more likely that I will continue to receive that gift of red in the future. Yes. And I think the balance here is that if your team member or an employee is constantly giving you gifts of red and not working hard to solve the problem, you've got an HR problem, okay? It's not a work problem. And you should deal with it. If you've got an employee who is not showing up, not carrying their weight, it's going to bog the rest of the team down. And that is something that you have to take care of. But the dashboards are not going to show you that. The dashboards are only going to show you that the project is not running where it's supposed to be or the project's running well. And you should react, as you said, with gratitude. I know that the mind may be going, I can't believe it, but the mouth just needs to say thank you. <laughs> Oh, I love that. 
Uh, you are playful, Patrick. I will say thank you for, for that. All right. So we're talking with Patrick Tien, uh, talking about rhythm, how to achieve breakthrough execution and accelerate growth. Uh, Patrick, where can we, I've got another question for you here, but before we get there and wrap up, where can we connect with you, find the book, all those good things? So the book is Rhythm, as you said already, and it's on Amazon. So please just buy it on Amazon. Uh, but you can come to rhythmsystems.com, which is my website. And my email is patrick at rhythmsystems.com. That's how you can get a hold of me as well. And please write to me. I'd love to hear people's stories of uh, success and failure as well. I, I'd love to, we're, you know, we've helped thousands of companies and uh, I love just to read about things that are working, things that are not working, and it helps us grow and learn. Not too many guests give their personal email address. So take advantage of that, Patrick. You've got a standing invite from Patrick here to reach out, to talk about these things and to share your experiences. So Patrick, as we've been talking about rhythm, uh, we've talked about the climbing the mountain. We've talked about the three and five-year goals and the winning moves that go into that. We've talked about the the uh, the quarterly approach, the 13-week sprints as we're, what are we specifically improving and doing to achieve those outcomes in that that time frame. Now let's get down to a week. So this is, as we get practical, as I'm looking at the next seven days, there are a couple of key meetings that you recommend starting with ourselves and then going from there. Can you walk us through on a week to week basis from a leadership management perspective, what should we be doing in terms of meetings? Sure. So two things, and you hit on them both already, David. The first is, you know, the, the meeting with the team. We call it a weekly adjustment meeting. Most companies have a status meeting and they'll call it their weekly status meeting. And I don't think it's a very worthwhile thing to spend all this money because you bring your executive team together. That's an expensive meeting. And you're bringing them together to go through status. I mean, why would we do that? Why, why don't we just read the status? So this is why we built the Rhythm software so that you can put your status in and whether you use a software or a spreadsheet, I don't really care. Well, I, I do care, but but for the purposes of this discussion, I don't really care. What I care about is that we provide the team our status ahead of time because we can all read it and come to the meeting ready to discuss. So we call it a weekly adjustment meeting because uh, this should be the most profound meeting of your week. But for most people, it's the crappiest meeting they have to attend, right? Most people go to a weekly meeting for the company and they go, oh my God, I, I, got, a, I got an appointment I got to go to. Uh, but no, this meeting is important. No, it really isn't. Okay. So if you're saying that it really isn't, then I, I hate to tell you, it really isn't because you haven't found the value there. So I think, first of all, statuses should be done ahead of time. We should read each other's status. We should be prepared. And we should figure out what a dead body is. Like, what problem do we have to solve? Where is the dead body? Why is this smell here? And let's figure that out and go solve that problem. If every weekly meeting you solve one problem uh, or have deep discussions about one problem, it, I promise you, it will be an exciting meeting. So that's why we call it an adjustment meeting. In order to have that happen, it has to start with each of us. So each of us, I call this a meeting with myself, right? So when a week ends, you review your week, How'd you do on your priorities? You provide the status. And then you think about your week ahead. What are the things I'm going to do next week to bring forth the, the success of the priorities that we've all signed up to for the quarter? And that's what I mean by 
keeping the end in mind. It's not good enough for you to begin with the end in mind. You have to keep the end in mind and you have to look at your priorities and say, okay, next week, I'm specifically going to focus on this, this, and this. And that's what my week is going to be. So, and then you now take a look at your teammate statuses and see what else is there. You read it and you figure out where you can help. That is what I call your meeting with yourself or meeting with myself. And if you do that, I promise you, you will have a great week. Uh, and, and if you don't have a great week, you'll at least know why you didn't have a great week and have a better week next week. So I've had bad weeks, by the way. I mean, people ask me this all the time. It's not like I'm it's not like I'm perfect or anything. And in fact, the reason why I'm so fervent about this is years and years ago, my wife asked me this question. I came home very tired. And she said, Patrick, what did you do this week? And I said, oh, yeah, I worked really hard. Mm. She said, yeah, but what did you actually accomplish this week? I'm curious. And I said, I, I just worked really hard. And as I answered, gave her the same answer the second time, I, I realized that I don't know what the heck I accomplished this week. I just know that I worked really hard. And David, that's a bad week. That's not Sorry. a good week. Um, that's not a good week. I mean, you may think that it, because I worked really hard, we are fooled by the fact that we, we toiled hard in the field that week. But what did I accomplish? I don't know. I just worked really hard. That is a bad week. I'm not standing up for any more of those weeks. I so in order you. for you to finish off and say to, 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 in order for me to finish off my week and to give my wife a better answer, right? When she says, Patrick, what do you accomplish this week? Hey, I did a podcast with David, right? I did this, I did, I did three things. Boom, done. Great. I had a great week. I need to be able to say that. Otherwise, I'm driving. I'm not driving. I'm, I'm just like, not, I'm just on auto. So, so that's what it takes. It takes the weekly adjustment meeting and it takes the meeting with myself to make sure I have a great week every single week uh, in my 13-week race. All right. So recapping, we're meeting with ourselves 30 minutes or so to align, to evaluate the week before, see, as you called it, the dead bodies. Are there problems that I need to address? Uh, get, the get my own status together, but then share... Uh, look at the statuses of everybody else that I'm meeting with. So we show up to that weekly meeting ready to make adjustments and solve specific problems, not just rehash whatever's happened, but to actually do some work together and make a decision, solve a problem, have an outcome for that meeting. Yes. I mean, can you imagine how exciting a meeting would be? Like if I knew I'm coming to this weekly meeting every week, and by the way, guess whose job it is? Uh, to make that exciting, the leader of that meeting. So if you're the CEO, that's your meeting. If we're talking about the executive meeting, that's your meeting. If you're the head of marketing and we're talking about the marketing weekly meeting, that's your meeting. For, so for every leader that is listening to this podcast, it is your job to make that weekly meeting exciting, inspiring, and worthy of the lives that are coming to that meeting because they just gave you a gift, the mm. hour of their life. Mm. Don't mm. screw up. <laughs> I love that. That is a final note to end on. You are the owner of that meeting. If the meeting, if, if the people are giving you the gift of their hour or whatever it is of their life, and it's your job to make it interesting, exciting. And that's not a function of your level of enthusiasm or how loud or, or, vocal variety or any of that. 
it's what problem are you solving? What are you moving forward as a result of that discussion? Yes. Fantastic. All right, Patrick Tin Rhythm, how to achieve breakthrough execution and accelerate growth. Patrick, thank you so much for being a guest on the show today. Hey, thank you for having me. I, I had a playful time. Thank you. <laughs> uh, so did I. And I learned a lot. And I know our listeners did too. Listeners, whether you're taking responsibility for your meeting, you're starting that meeting with yourself, you're getting your winning moves together, uh, prioritizing that or you know, creating that habit of thinking for uh, about those priorities yourself, whichever element you're taking and implementing, get after that and be the leader you'd want your boss to be. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.